0: Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah and Bean. And welcome back for our Super Bowl week special episode, which also happens to be another classic history episode of Great Moments in Weed History. Isn't that right, Bean? Yeah, and I don't want to disappoint anybody, but
1: I feel like making a pun about smoking a Super Bowl while you watch the Super
0: Bowl is pretty... Played out, you will not catch me doing it. Yeah, yeah, right. And you just totally did it. So <laughs> that one's marked off the list. There's our Super Bowl pun. You can't say we didn't deliver on that. <laughs> our guest for today is football and cannabis legend Ricky Williams. In 1998, while he was at the University of Miami, Ricky Williams won the Heisman Trophy. If you're not a football person, This is the trophy awarded annually to the most outstanding college football player in the nation. And uh, no, I cannot
1: let the Heisman pun go. I I, got to get that one in too.
0: Yeah, and neither could Ricky Williams, incidentally, because that's (laughs) the name of his cannabis brand. It's called Heisman. Definitely a brand name after Bean's heart. So a little bit more on Ricky. After... Suffering through a couple injury-prone seasons, he was getting banged up quite a bit out there, going very hard. In 2002, Ricky Williams led the NFL in rushing yards and scored 16 touchdowns. This guy was no slouch. He was absolutely a superstar. But that's also the season that he first failed a drug test for cannabis. This set off a 10-year odyssey of at least 500 additional drug tests from the NFL including five that came up positive for cannabis. And when we say positive, the limit is extremely low, was always extremely low for the NFL. And while we think of smoking weed as a positive thing in our
1: lives, when we say <laughs> a positive result, that uh, has a negative impact if you are in the NFL. Yeah, yeah.
0: In case you're like a George Costanza type. Yeah, This is George Costanza. I'm, I'm calling for my test results. Negative.
2: Oh
1: my god. Oh, why?
2: why? Why? What? They think it was good? Oh, oh yeah. yes, of course. How stupid of me. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: What was I worried about? Back to Ricky. Facing stigmas and suspensions from the league, Ricky Williams would famously walk away from the game in 2004 and all the fame and all the notoriety and all the money, telling the press, I didn't quit football because I failed a drug test. I failed a drug test because I was ready to quit football. And he also quit being a spokesman for the prescription drug Paxil and declared that cannabis helped him much more for his social anxiety disorder without all the debilitating side effects. I mean, this is something that we hear from veterans, other people who have undergone trauma, that cannabis is a better palliative medicine without as many side effects. We sometimes hear that from
1: weed history podcasters as well.
0: Yes, it's true. It's true. Definitely (laughs) two out of two weed history podcasters agree with Ricky Williams on this one. For months at that time, the story of Ricky Williams' disappearing act and the fact that he might choose weed over football obsessed the sports press. So Stephen A. Smith was like, stay off the weed. He was losing his mind at this time over Ricky Williams being like, why would you choose cannabis over football? But as we'll learn on today's episode, he had his reasons. You know, at the same time, as we'll also hear a little
1: bit in the episode, I was working at High Times Magazine. This was the biggest weed story of the day. I did try to find Ricky Williams at this time when he was off somewhere in the world and no one knew where. He sent me a couple of cryptic emails. In essence, it never really came together. So this is a bit of a full circle moment.
0: Yeah, actually. And uh, Ricky totally remembered that instance when we brought it up in this interview. He was like, oh, that was you? Yep, that was Bean. So Ricky Williams would eventually return to the NFL and compete at the highest levels. But at the same time, He also began down the road of becoming a healer through the study of Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine. And he is all about this stuff. He's a yogi. He's into holistic medicine, uh, you know, which is definitely stuff that we are into as well over here. So in 2015, Ricky began advocating, along with other former NFL players, for the league to change its ridiculous stance on cannabis and finally allow players to use this stuff to get over their on-field injuries.
1: Yeah, he was one of the earliest players to start to make this case. This is something that I know you were reporting on in real time as it
0: was unfolding. Yeah, so uh, I wrote a couple pieces back in the day. I talked about how the NFL should allow cannabis for the very longevity of the game of football because they had a lot of players at the time who were suffering from CTE. They had a lot of players who, who had opioid addictions, who were addicted to other types of pain pills that had all kinds of horrible side effects. And we also know that the effects of CTE can lead to violent and unhinged behavior later in life. There's been many, many tragic cases of this involving former NFL players. And so it seems so counterintuitive that the NFL would test their players and banned their players for using a neuroprotectant, neuroregenerative medicine like cannabis. And I made this case. I got a statement from the NFL. They were like, we're, There's nothing we're going to change about this. We're going to keep testing our players for weed. You're not supposed to smoke weed. Despite the fact that at this time, the NHL, right, the National Hockey League, allowed its players to use medicinal cannabis.
1: And and despite the fact that at the time, no exaggeration, the penalties for failing a drug test for weed vastly outstripped the penalties for things like committing violent crimes. But now the tide has turned
0: quite a bit. Yeah. So just this week, the NFL announced that it's awarding one million dollars, which is pocket change to the NFL. The way, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, in In research funding to two teams of medical researchers to study the effects of cannabinoids on pain management and neuroprotection from concussion in elite football players. About time, but we applaud you, NFL. Yes, that is the great moment in this episode. There were obviously many incredible
1: great moments in Ricky Williams' life as both a football player and a cannabis enthusiast and advocate, but... That's the one that really shows how his work over a long period of time not only changed his own life and a lot of people's perceptions of cannabis, but led to this landmark change that really will change the culture and the nature of the NFL from from here forward.
0: Yes, and we can all feel a little bit better about watching those games and supporting this sport knowing that they're finally doing something about it. And now, NFL, if you want to throw
1: a little more support behind the weed cause, we invite you to visit the (laughs) Great Moments in Weed History Patreon. That's at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. That's where you can support this show. I have to tell you, we are so excited that now that we are a weedly show, once a weed or once a week, if you will, every weedness
0: day or... Wednesday. I still contend that this is no longer English. We are—we <laughs> have just developed our own, like it's like our own, like uh, Middle Earth, you know, Lord of the Rings language <laughs> that we're just going to be speaking. It's going to be like. Weedin' button, nugs, uh, you know, like... Yeah, when you
1: come to the Great Moments in Weed History Con and you cosplay as Abdullah or Bean or Weed or whoever, one of of the guests, maybe you want to come as David Crosby or, uh, you know, be sure to learn this language because that's all that is spoken, not just during the seminars at Great Moments in Weed History Con, but uh, if you want to get snacks, if you want to get transportation back to your hotel. Oh,
0: yeah. Also, I'd like to note that all the cosplay is exactly the same. It's just don't shave or get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a poncho on uh, and just walk around as if you're, you know, in your living room, but you're out in the actual world. That's literally it's Bean, it's me, it's David Crosby, it's, it's a lot of other guests we've had on the show. <laughs> Easy cosplay.
1: You can get tickets at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com, which is where you can also support us. And I think I was trying to make a point, which was we are so excited about being a weekly podcast, but that's a lot more downloads and it is showing up in our hosting bill. And so if you love this show, and especially if you have been a fan for a while and it's important to you, it's a great time to put five on it. If you want to go a little bigger, you can get a signed copy of my book, great moment <laughs> you probably know the name of my book uh, a signed copy of my book how to smoke pot property oh, <laughs> how to smoke pot property that's like the yeah. real revolution shit we're gonna that's burn your weed shit. store down and smoke the fumes of it
0: you can't own weed man <laughs> that was very medicinal Yeah. (laughs) So
1: as you can probably tell from the fact that we probably left that train wreck in, this is all still the product of just two people. We research, write, edit, produce, distribute every single aspect of this podcast. So if you can throw a little green energy our way, it will... Definitely be much appreciated and put to good use.
0: Yeah, and all you have to do to support us is go to moments in weedhistory.com. Kind of a long name, but also the name of this podcast that you know and love. moments in Weed And of course, if you do support us on Patreon, You'll get bonus materials like the video version of our Moments in Weed shows and all kinds of other fun stuff. So please go check it out. And if you want to support us and you don't have the money right this
1: second, that's cool. We are not going to front you because you can still listen for free. So we are basically fronting you. You can please go on social media, tag us at GMIWH Podcast, use the hashtag Great Moments in Weed History. Please help us out in that regard because our social media game is a middle aged dude who hates the internet. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> seriously. And also, we're shadow banned on pretty much every platform because we talk so much about weed, our posts are throttled. Our stories are banned and shadowed and cast into the shadows and every kind of thing they can do to keep people from talking about the weed knowledge that we're trying to spread. They are doing so it makes your help even more important to us. Or one lump $100
1: million check, which is you'll never hear from us about Patreon again. That's cool, too. And then one listener note before we get into the episode. There's a little bit of audio disruption on Ricky Williams' interview early in the interview, but that clears up, so just bear with us, please.
0: Yep, yep, yep. All right. I have a beautiful Snodgrass Hammer packed with high 90s gelato right here. Bean, what do you got going on? Oh, I've rolled up a fatty. Also some high
1: 90s. They, uh, You may be hearing more about high 90s from us in the future because we are fans of their weed and it seems like they're fans of this podcast. So I will definitely smoke to that. But wait, I'm hearing that some people aren't rolled up. They don't have a bowl pack. No, they haven't say. split a mm-hmm. blunt. Yeah, it seems to happen every week, people. This is now a Weedley podcast. Get your shit together. You don't, no, don't hit pause. There's no time. This is too good of an episode. The Super Bowl is packed and ready to burn. But, you know, you can hit pause. We can't stop you. What we can promise you is that when you come back, we'll be ready for another GREAT MOMENT IN WEED HISTORY
0: Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. We're really interested in hearing all about your weed history. We'd love to start from the beginning. What was that like when you first discovered cannabis?
2: I grew up in San Diego. So growing up in Southern California, it was all around. My favorite auntie, she had a, she had a cannabis plant in her kitchen. So, you know, we'd ride with her to pick up dime bags. And then my stepdad, part of his nightly ritual was coming home and rolling a couple of joints. But I was an athlete. Back then, athletes, you know, the idea was you're either a stoner or you're a jock. So, what, you know, one day, and it was only because probably he was the smartest kid in school, this guy me to me to go to his house at lunch. And he pulled out this big ball and we both took a hit, kind of like on TV, kind of coughed my lungs out. and. <laughs> And all I remember is I had physics right after lunch. And I just remember sitting in physics class, having no idea what was going on. And so, it, you know, really didn't, really didn't take. And I got to college. And when I was in college, uh, my dorm mate was a smoker. And sometimes on the weekends, you'd have people over and, you know, they passed a, pass a blunt around. When I was a freshman or a sophomore, it just was cool to be hanging out with the, the older guys. And so when they passed it around, I wasn't going to say no. But it didn't, it really didn't take. My senior year in college, I was. Running for the Heisman Trophy, a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. And I just was like in a difficult spot. My roommate one day said, You you just got to chill. Pulled out his little bong and I hit it a couple of times. And that was the first time where I really noticed, okay, that there's going to be a relationship between us. Uh, I was able to sleep. I wasn't obsessing about all the issues that were going on. And it it really helped me center. And I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, I ended up winning the Heisman Trophy that year. From that point on, out of college, I come into a lot of money. And so one of the main obstacles to procuring cannabis was gone. It was in the NFL. And the only obstacle in the NFL was you know, the NFL uh, test once a year for cannabis. Started smoking more. I, I didn't become a smoker, but I started to smoke more as I got in the NFL and I started to appreciate it. Started to become part of my nightly ritual that after work, my roommates and I would roll up, you know, play video games, decompress and then have philosophical conversations. Then it turned to me smoking about myself and really having those those deep conversations with myself, some of those sessions with myself is when I started to realize that, you know, maybe there's there's more that I want out of life than just being a football player. So I feel like it really opened me to, to living to living a very different life than I had than I planned.
0: A split that's kind of followed you through your whole life. Do you feel more like one or the other you know, when you think of a football player, you
2: typically think of African-American person. And the stigma around cannabis was also aimed towards, you know, brown and black people. And so the unfortunate thing is like growing up and I find this a lot, you know, people of my generation, you know, minorities growing up, you had to pitch. You know, you're either the good minority or you're the bad minority. And part of being the bad minority meant you, you smoke weed.
0: I picked bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, unfortunately, I, you know, people have to choose. You know, I'm so glad that things are changing so much that people don't have to choose. And that we can we can have both. True spirituality, religion is something that's kind of taboo in our in our culture. It's changing. You know, people are opening up to ayahuasca, mushrooms, cannabis, uh-huh. they're opening their minds. But I think this is a societal problem is that. But now we're opening back up to our imagination. And I think we we need it. We need it desperately.
1: Did you feel like by embracing or at least being open to cannabis you were doing something wrong, or did you just feel like there might be consequences to it?
2: I bought into it. And that's what created a lot of the ambivalence because my generation, by the time we were in second grade, you know, we had to go to these these dare assemblies where they tell us if we, if we smoke cannabis that our brain is ah. going to turn into scrambled eggs.
0: Another dare graduate <laughs> right here. <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and that's the tragedy of it all, is, is I bought into the negative stereotypes even though there was very little evidence that they were that they were present in my life. You know, I thought, yeah, you know, I am bad. But then I said, wait a minute. I looked at my life and I was like, actually, cannabis has made me a better person. So what are you guys talking about?
0: Yeah, it seems like you went on an exploration that's pretty ordinary for an American teenager or young person on the one hand, right? Sitting around, getting high with your friends, playing video games, doing all that. But on the other hand, you're this very, very celebrated athlete. So there's this like expectation of you from all these people around you. And I think that's something that is interesting because it's carried through your entire career where people picture you as being a certain way. And that way doesn't involve smoking weed. So you're like shattering some kind of stereotype for them and they can't handle it.
2: You know what I realized, though? It's not even the expectation that I'm not doing that. It's the expectation that I should lie about it. We don't expect our stars to be perfect. We just, you know, just don't let us see it. That's been the biggest uh, area of growth for me is... Is not allowing fame to make me hide who I really am. Sometimes when people get famous, there's a lot of pressure to keep doing whatever whatever they did to, to make them famous. But I realized something, right? When I stopped pretending and started being who I truly am, now what I'm famous for is something that I, that I feel good about. You know, the expectation is for me to tell the truth about my life and about myself. And that feels so much better to me.
1: So you knew you were going to have a relationship with cannabis, going back to that early sort of revelatory
2: experience,
1: what made you have that feeling? I
2: equated to that first time you had an orgasm, you know, however, however it happens. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew, okay, <laughs> this, this is, is gonna great. happen again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it is kind of like that. I mean, it is kind of like puberty or popping that cherry where, where you, you're initiated into like a, a different way of being. A different way of viewing the world. All you know, indigenous traditional cultures have processes of initiation, and I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of them, you know, include mind altering substances.
1: And do you remember what that specific cannabis looked like? Where it might have come from? You know, smell,
2: taste. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I feel like living in Southern California. I'm so I'm so spoiled, right? But but in the at the time, I remember thinking, this is some good. This is you know. You know, because my I was Ricky Williams, and my best friend was known as being my best friend. So he had access, you know, probably to the to the best cannabis in, in Austin at the time. And so, you know, for for Austin in the the late 1990s, you know, it was it was pretty good. The strain I, I don't I don't remember, um, but I remember he had a little he had a, just a little basic uh, glass bomb, and and we had like a little dining little dining room table, and that just seemed to be the spot where it went down.
0: The area that becomes the bong area, it's all about heights, you know, it's all about the height of that chair, that bar stool, the counter, you know what I mean? It becomes like a workstation where you're like, you're not just there like getting high, like, you're working, you know what I mean? You're like, you're packing something, you're lighting something, it's a whole engagement.
2: But well, it has that ritual feel. We're so ignorant of our of our history. I, you know, I don't mean like the last two hundred years. I mean our, our our true history. Engaging with mind altering substances. It's, it's very it's very common in our in our history.
0: And so, of course, there's also a palliative effect of cannabis, especially for somebody whose body is undergoing all these traumas day in day out, practice games, all that. When did you first notice the palliative effects, the therapeutic effects of cannabis?
2: Well, I, I guess that's that's what I was trying to explain. You know, that that first that time I was just going through a lot. And it wasn't it wasn't physical because at that point, you know, no one was really talking about medicinal marijuana. No one was talking about cannabis can help your body feel better. At least no one was talking was having those conversations around me. So it didn't even really occur to me. For me, it came through I was in an emotional distress and it was palliative in, in that way. And it wasn't until I got off of the meds that the team doctors gave me. It wasn't until I got off of those that I realized, oh, shit, cannabis helps my body feel better too. But it it worked in a very different way. Started getting off the meds. I started, I found yoga. I started consuming cannabis and doing yoga together. And I was like, how come no one told me about this? You know, and the thing about taking NSAIDs or... or or opioids is that they shut off your awareness to your body. And what my experience with cannabis is it makes me more aware of my body. So I can send my my attention or healing energies to the areas that need them the most.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Getting high and doing yoga is one of the greatest things ever. So thanks for mentioning that anybody listening to this. Seriously. Get high and do some yoga <laughs> whenever you have the chance.
1: You should learn a little bit about both of those things before trying to combine them, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's probably a good
2: idea. <laughs> that would be a really good idea.
1: Just a little PSA. And I'm wondering beyond the physical benefits of of cannabis, was the idea of being part of this small group of people that got together to regularly consume cannabis and talk about their lives for somebody who was dealing with so much pressure and and had such a spotlight on them, was that a little kind of refuge for you? What what, what function did that serve socially
2: for you? Well here's here's the issue. You know, about the time that I really started to to become a smoker, I I, I was in the NFL's drug program and I was being tested nine times a month. And Everyone that knew I was in the drug program, they were like, "We're not smoking with you. You're not. We're not smoking with you." At least at that time in my life, I didn't. I, I missed that opportunity because it was it was secretive, and I was already in trouble, and so no one wanted to be, you know, be part of getting me in more trouble. And so for me, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a weed crew. It was like a weed chick. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was that female person, usually didn't even know anything about football, who was a smoker, and I could just go chill with her, and she wasn't going to freak out at me smoking, and we could have deep conversations. But after after I retired, definitely, you know, definitely, it's been amazing. And and really, that whole idea is what's behind my brand, Heisman. Not just a crew like me and you, but now that it's, you know, it's getting out, that, that we can create community we can create community around our love for cannabis and sports.
1: In 2001, you had a fractured rib while you were playing with the Saints and you were prescribed pharmaceuticals to, to deal with that. What was that experience like for you? I know you've talked about cannabis as a natural medicine compared to pharmaceuticals. And this seems to be the point where, uh, again, there's two paths presented to you
2: we're given a certain idea of what, of what health is and what medicine, what medicine is. And so like most of us, we grow up in the system and I I ascribe to it. And so I learned when I was a junior in high school, right? I was a pitcher on the baseball team and my arm hurt. So I realized, Oh, if I take a couple of leave, my arm doesn't hurt anymore. And I can go and pitch. That was my attitude. I got into Mm -hmm. Texas and I had really bad shin splints and some, you know, some ankle sprain and some knee injuries. And they had stronger, you know anti-inflammatories, and so I took those, and then I didn't hurt anymore. And then when I was twenty, I started getting really sick in my stomach, and so I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, "You know, have you been taking ibuprofen?" And I was like, "Yeah, eight a day." And he said, "Well, you have an ulcer." <laughs> and so yeah, oof. He started to explore alternative ways of taking care of my body, and that's where I came across the this, this sparse amount of research on cannabis as being considered medicine. And then in you know 2004, when I retired, I took those studies, you know, to the next level. I found a book that it was the strangest book. It was on Ayurveda, which is the natural healing system from India.
0: And they had yeah. I was reading
2: this book on Ayurveda, and there was a whole chapter on cannabis. And I was scratching my head, I was like, this isn't a drug book, this is a medical book. And there's a whole chapter on cannabis. And once I you know dove into that chapter, I started to realize. They've been lying to us about this. Not only you know cannabis, but but really that the Ayurvedic health system of looking at, at at humans as our bodies as being part of nature and realizing if we want to be healthy, you know we should pay attention and learn from nature and try to live in harmony with it. That makes so much sense to me, and it really turned changed my whole perspective on on health, uh, spirituality, and, and more specifically about my own body and the things that I've been doing to it as a football player.
0: Yeah, man. You know it's very interesting to learn that you are into Ayurveda. So I'm I'm Pakistani. That's definitely been, uh, you know, within my culture uh, since childhood. You know, my mom and grandma told me about the Ayurveda and how there is an herbal remedy for almost everything, right? And in Pakistan as a kid, I saw that like cannabis was actually growing everywhere. It just literally, you can't stop it from growing. And it was this thing that was just kind of ever present, right? And as I grew older, I learned that there is a balance between cannabis and the other foods slash medicines in the Ayurveda, right? And in fact, the delineations that we've made between what is food, what is a drug, what is a medicine are completely imaginary. So we did an episode about Mahashivaratri uh, on this show. Which is, are you familiar with that? Oh,
2: I have a great story. So, um, so I, when so and when, when I was living in Grass Valley, there's a there's a from there. And so I ended up going to the yoga ashram and and the head Swami there, you know, we had this amazing conversation and I was like, I think I found my teacher. So I ended up living at this ashram for two years. And so every year we would have a we'd have a Shiva retreat. We stay up all night, do pujas, sing and chant all night long. Amazing. So my, my first Shiva retreat was I decided to make bang for the first time. And ah, so, we made so, it
0: on the show too. That's great. yeah. So I was,
2: <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was going to school at the time, studying Ayurveda. And so I and I was volunteering in the herb lab. And so I got, I gathered all the herbs I needed to make it. And my my friend down the road, she was a grower. And so I got about, I got a couple of a couple of ounces from her. I went to the hardware store, got a mortar and pestle, and I just went to work. I had this the Shiva statue in my on my altar, and I, you know I offered him some nugs, and I did a little puja, and then I went to the ashram after drinking the bang, and it was amazing. Funny story, my I had a, I had a friend with me, and she she part partook in the bang too. And when we got to the <laughs> we got to the ritual space, you know there was one bathroom, and she went in the bathroom when we first got there. And then I just was sitting there and I was like, where did she go? I, I didn't notice, but I was, you know, I was chanting and dancing and, and all night. And then we woke up in the morning. I mean, we got up in the morning to, to after we were done uh chanting to have a feast. And I was like, where's 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 Ariana? I saw the bathroom door open and she walked out of the bathroom. And I was like, "Where were you?" She's like, "That stuff was so
0: strong. As soon as we got here, I went in the bathroom and I just laid down on the ground.
2: <laughs> I just woke up
0: right now. <laughs> It'll do it. It's a powerful edible, man. And it like it sort of seems to uh, activate pretty quickly as well. I don't know what it is about the you know the combination of herbs in there, but. Pung hits you real hard when it hits you. It's and medicine. It like... it's, it's real
2: medicine. I mean, you were talking about combining certain uh, certain plants, certain medicinals. It, it's powerful.
1: What was it about the culture around football that made you at least look outside of it for something else?
2: That's a good question. That it's, and it's not even football. I think, it's, I think it's professional football. You know, I feel like I could have stayed in, in college and and played forever, and I think for me the main difference was more or less right. When you're in college, you're a, you're a human being still, right? You might be a good football player and a good college football player, but you're still a human being. And I found you know going to the NFL, we were expected to be a machine, and that just didn't work for me. I'm a sensitive person, and so I in anything I do, I'll run through a I'll run through a brick wall. But yeah, I got to have the other side too. And and for me, it was especially without cannabis, it was too hard to find that balance as a professional football player.
1: In addition to being a machine, as you say, I think there's an element of being a commodity, right?
2: Oh, that too. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And, but that's not a hundred percent across the board. A lot of that has to do with the organization, the, the ownership, but, but yeah, you know, and I, <laughs> that that's tough. I mean, it, and, uh, people can look at what I'm doing now, you know, I do a lot of a lot of meditation. I teach meditation, really into astrology, and just really helping people open up and reach their full potential. And there's definitely some of that in football, but it's it's only directed at you know scoring touchdowns and winning football games, not at being a better person.
0: Yeah. You know, I couldn't help but notice, you know, when watching some of the coverage of you that at this time, there's all these old white dudes on ESPN criticizing you, saying one thing or another. And it really reminded me of... The fact that cannabis has been used to demonize black and brown men throughout American history, right? And here you are, you're a professional athlete in modern times, and yet you're subject to the same scrutiny. Can you talk about that a little bit in how you reacted to this sort of judgment and this treatment of you as a commodity by these people?
2: Yeah, you know, it's its funny. You know, people expect people expect me to be more bitter about it. But I made peace with it. You know, I wouldn't be where I am right now doing the things that I'm doing if it, if it weren't for me going through those things. And I think there has to be someone that fits the stereotype to break the stereotype. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I look at my story and, and it, could have gone, it could have gone down that road of hothead leaves and ruins his life. But it didn't. You know, and I've come back around and my life is thriving right now. I think I've done a whole lot to, to break the stigma and to change the stereotype. And hopefully, I do a lot more before my time is over here.
1: When was the first time you can consciously remember thinking to yourself, this is a choice? Not about cannabis versus football, just about do I want to keep continuing to do this? And where did that line of questioning start to lead you?
2: Yeah. I mean, it led me to some scary places. Uh, you know, the first time that I really started to to question it was early in my NFL career. It was so after my my rookie year, which was a which was a disaster. I missed I missed four games and I was hurt pretty much the whole year. And so it was it was kind of a low point for me. And I, I seriously considered, okay, is this really what I want to do? And I decided, okay, I'm going to keep playing because I didn't have anything else to do. That thought it was was too scary. And a year later, uh, my second year in the NFL, I got to a thousand yards, but I broke my ankle on my thousand yard. And and so my first two years in the NFL were just so much, so full of disappointment. It it got me starting to question, is this really what I'm supposed to, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? I hated going to work. I hated being around football players, just walking into that room and being in that environment. I just didn't feel like I was at home. And so I started seeing a therapist getting on, on Paxil and I just realized there's just things I have to deal with. And I found that Paxil didn't help me deal with those things. And I started to find that. Cannabis did help me deal with those things. You know, I'd have one of my solo sessions after work and I'd start reflecting on my life. I'd start reflecting me as a football player. You know, where can I improve as a football player? I started reflecting on myself as a father. You know, where can I be a better father? And the truth is some of those inner conversations were hard, you know, <laughs> looking, at, looking at things were very, that were very uncomfortable. But I was able to look at them and start to make changes in my life.
0: And in terms of your cannabis regimen at this time, right? Yes, there's medical marijuana is available, but there's not that much information on which strains, which cannabinoids, which tinctures. So where were you getting guidance on what types of cannabis to use for the issues that you were trying to address?
2: Part of my uh, studying Ayurveda was I, I learned about herbs and how to combine herbs. When I, I graduated from Texas, I went back to school after I retired from the Dolphins and I got my, uh, I got my bachelor's degree in two thousand. Sixteen, and I started a master's program in Chinese medicine. I've you know studied two different types of herbalism, and so when I use cannabis, I combine it with other herbs because that's my training as an as an herbalist. And when you're combining with other herbs, yes, the, the strain and the terpene profile matters, but it doesn't matter as much because you're using the other the other herbs to create right. the entourage effect.
0: What uh, what kinds of herbs?
2: You know, I had a neck injury. From my, my day's playing. and that's really the the major thing that 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 gets me. You know, it'll flare up a couple of times, a couple of times a year. And you know, I know in Chinese medicine we call them blood movers. So like an herb called danggui is really good for for moving the blood. And so I'll mix danggui, uh, I'll mix some cannabis, a couple other blood movers, and I'll either make a tincture or I'll make uh, or I'll make ghee. In Ayurveda, ghee is considered a special substance that takes medicine to the deepest parts of your body. The first medicine I ever made. Was was I called it? Uh, uh, Girita vijaya. Uh, so victory ghee. Where I, I, you know, I just infused in the in the old Ayurvedic medicinal method. I infused cannabis into ghee, and it's 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 the most powerful healing substance I've ever I've ever experienced. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is the stuff that I I geek out about. And so, you know, if I get a stomachache or or I get hurt or something comes up, I get excited because I get to, you know, I get to get back in the the herb closet and, 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 you know, come up with something. I'm familiar with herb closets. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out of the herb
1: closet, but I spent my entire youth in one. (laughs)
2: amen to that
1: (laughs) well let's go to actually to to 2002 you're traded to the dolphins you lead the league in rushing and then you have a, a separated shoulder injury on a monday night game and and it seems that very shortly after that you you failed your first drug test it was that cannabis you were trying to use to treat that specific injury? And and how did that all unfold for you
2: personally? What happened was I got traded to the Dolphins in March. I think it was March 9th of 2002. The NFL drug policy at the time was all the players get tested once a year, Okay. Right? When I played in New Orleans, that, that annual test was done in training camp, usually like the first three or four days of training camp. I got traded to Miami and in Miami, they don't test in training camp, they test in the off season and nobody gave me the memo. I got to work one day and they're like they're drug tested, you know, the annual drug test today and I was like holy shit. So I peed in the cup and then and I failed. And so if if you pass that one test, then they don't test you again for the until the next year. But if you fail that test, uh they put you in the drug program. And the drug program and they test you
0: every 20 minutes for the rest pretty of much the- pretty much, yeah. Every every other day, you know. Just just
2: times. whenever you pee.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: pretty much.
0: It, it, yeah. So I got put into the drug
2: program, tested like all the time. Then had to go see like a, a therapist once a week and all that stuff. It was horrible. And if you can stay clean for two years or two seasons, whatever comes first, then you're you're out of the program.
0: That's a lot of seasons of no weed, man.
2: What are you telling me? I couldn't do it. So I found I could take two hits, maybe three hits and pass a test the next day. So I was, I was about two months away from being out of the program and it had been smooth sailing. And yeah, separated my shoulder, both of them. It was part of the pain and part of it was that we had just been eliminated from the playoffs. And so it was just a rough, it was just a rough night. And and I smoked that night. So the, the drug test guy would come to my house before I leave for practice. So he'd come at like six o'clock in the morning. And I had this uh, drink, I forgot what it was called, but I had like cases of it in my closet. And I knew that he would call me the night before and he'd say, I'll be there at six o'clock. So I'd set my alarm for five. I get up at five, I drink the drink. Wait 15 minutes, drink a cup of water. Wait 15 minutes, drink another cup of water. Pee one time, my piss is clean for five hours, okay? I had this system down.
0: Bean knows about this stuff. It was advertised in the back of High Times the whole time he worked there. I'm pretty sure his salary was paid in part with, with that liquid. And
1: bless them, you know? <laughs> we, we'd get calls every every day. I have no association with High Times now, but I worked there a long time. The phone rang multiple times every day from people who just didn't know who to reach out to, who to trust. It could be somebody out on parole for weed, could be getting right back into the criminal justice system. It could be somebody going to lose their job as the position that you were in. It can be people who are potentially going to have custody battles. And it is a huge industry that has always pushed very hard to keep prohibition in place. Uh, Going back, I remember writing about you in real time. 2002 is when I started working at High Times. And one of the things we like to point out was the owner of the Miami Dolphins at the time, and I'm blanking on his name, was... Wayne Yeah. He was invested in this industry, heavily invested in this industry. And so, you know, here was an example of his Agreed to make money off of this abusive system, actually coming back to bite him in 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 his own ass by uh, putting you on the sidelines. Although I don't know if you saw it that way,
2: um, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. But yeah, and so and so this this one morning, you know, I got up at five. I was tired. You know, I got up at five and I and I drank the drink, but then I fell back asleep and I didn't wake up again. And so you know, Gary was his name. Rung the doorbell. And I had a like I had a choice in that moment. You know, I could have said, I can't pee. Can we do this later? Because if I would have had another, you know, half an hour, I would have passed that test. <sighs> but but I was like, fuck it, you know, and I peed. And, and the crazy thing is in, when when the results came back that the NFL cutoff, which was crazy, was 0.15 nanograms per mil- milliliter of uh, Delta 9 THC metabolites. They have us piss in an A bottle and a B bottle. My A bottle was like 15.2 point one five seven. my b bottle was 0. .146 and so i barely barely like barely barely failed that test and so i appealed it and i appealed it with the nfl and the nfl said we don't want to you know we don't want to suspend you we don't want to fine you we'll stay in the program for another for half of an, another season and you stay clean and we'll let you out of the program and i said no
0: <laughs> and god bless you for it man way to take a stand
2: I said, I said, no, I'm going and to, and I went to force them to make a judgment on, on the appeal. But before they made the judgment on the, the appeal, I, just, I failed another test and decided I didn't want to play anymore. And that's, when I, and that's when I walked away.
0: Where was your head at at the time? Did you purposely fail a drug test so you could, you know, sort of stick it to them a little bit and, and get out of there? Or was this like, well, I have no choices left?
2: I didn't have the courage to walk away. I had this this amazing moment, this epiphany where I realized... I need to be doing something else. And it felt real. And it was the first time that I I had that thought, and I wasn't afraid of it anymore. It was like exciting to be doing something else. So I remember I called up all my friends and I was like, you know, I'm going to quit football and I'm going to travel and go back to school and do all these things. And all of them were like, are you fucking crazy? Are you out of your mind? And so I started thinking, am I crazy? And am I out of my mind? And they convinced me, you know, I said, okay. I'll play one more year and then I'll walk away. Right. But then that didn't really feel great with me. And so I just started living dangerously. And I said, if I somehow make it to the season, that means I'm meant to play. If I fail, if I somehow don't make it, that means I'm meant to do something different.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I think this this sums it up well. In, in 2004, you told the Miami Herald, I didn't quit football because I failed a drug test. I failed a drug test because I was ready to quit football, and I remember that being in the world of sports media, the story, you know, wall-to-wall coverage, and as Abdullah was saying earlier, there's these montages of uh, not just commentators, uh, really fans saying fans too. Yeah, really saying extremely mean things.
2: Arguably the biggest off-season story in the National Football League, it's certainly the most shocking. Was Ricky Williams' abrupt departure from the Miami Dolphins and all of pro football? For all intents and purposes, it appears as if Ricky Williams chose marijuana over football. Smoking weed
1: is more important to him than playing professional football. A disgrace to humanity, Ricky Williams. I don't know if you remember this, but when you left and kind of didn't leave a forwarding address, I tracked down your email and I sent you an email and I said, I'm the guy from High Times. I'd love to come find you, and uh, you you said, "All right, I'm in Australia. If you can find me, it would be uh, I'd I'd love to be on the cover of High Times. Do you remember that?
2: I do remember that. <laughs>
1: I, I, Amazing. I, I, Let me finish the story. I went into, Yeah, there's more. Yeah, <laughs> I went into the office of High Times, and I said, "I need a ticket to Australia." I'm going to find Ricky Williams and they did what they always did, which was like, hand me a jar of weed and pat me on the shoulder. and <laughs> <laughs> Tell me they're not going to give me any money to do anything. Uh, so <laughs>
2: that's oh my why God. I didn't meet you there. <laughs> we, would have had, we would have had a blast. We would have had so much
0: fun. Ah, uh, A great moment in weed history that never happened, but we're all here now getting high together.
1: It happened for the guy from, uh, was it GQ? Esquire. 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 Yeah, so yeah. tell me about that. You decided not only you were leaving football, but you were going to some, to some extent, tune in, turn on, and, and drop out for a bit. And where did that journey take you?
2: No, I mean, it's, it's interesting you, you bring up the question because you were, you were there, in a way, at that moment. I mean, you, you were there to receive the vibe of where, where I was at at that moment in time. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, my mindset at that time was, I am never coming back, never. And I needed to get away. You know, I felt like I was too enmeshed and too defined by who I was as a football player. And I felt that having time in another country where I got to meet people who had no idea that I played football to kind of reestablish a relationship with myself. It's funny. Again, I, I learned through this whole process to just pay attention, right? is that there's always going to be signs telling you which direction to go if you can pay attention. And so, again, I thought I was, I was on my way to the Himalayas to rub hash for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, was, you know, I stopped in Thailand to, to stop over before heading to the Himalayas. And uh, this little guy went in front of me, turned the TV on at this hostel, and there was an NFL football game. And I was like, how the hell in this little town in the middle of Thailand is there a football game on? And so I said, this must be a sign. And so I came back. Came back to the States and that's when I
0: started studying Ayurveda. That's pretty wild. I grew up in Thailand. I lived there for 13 years, never saw a single football game exactly the entire time I was there.
2: The crazy part is is I was in this little hostel, it was in Chiang Mai in Thailand. I had a like my messed up my feet, so I couldn't really move around too much. So I laid in the bed the whole weekend watching television. And there wasn't any even English speaking television on. Yeah. I, I just and then that and then for the game to be on, i was
0: like, okay, this is a sign I need to take my ass back. So that's w- pretty w- crazy. You picture a Thai bar that's completely normal, and there's one Thai guy like painted in Tampa Bay colors, <laughs> <laughs> just like so excited for the Monday night game. And it was
2: eight o'clock in the morning in, th- in Thailand. It was just was a yeah. weird. It just was a weird situation.
0: For anybody that understands the healing power of cannabis, they would say that the NFL is an organization that absolutely has needed it for for decades, right? Because The NFL is constantly getting sued by former players who have ill effects from long-term CTE, people who have painkiller addictions. And, you know, I wrote an article for Complex Sports, this was back in 2014, about why cannabis is the best thing for the NFL, right? And how it could actually be better for the players and for the league, considering that this sport has been increasingly under threat of dying out because, you know, of the bad press around all the injuries. With that in mind, how do you feel about seeing that the NFL is now changing its tune? Back in 2014, they said, we will absolutely never legalize cannabis. We're not, you know, we're not interested. A couple of years ago, they started getting curious about it and they've been getting closer and closer to a reasonable policy on cannabis. How do you feel about seeing that?
2: That's awesome. You know, it's awesome. And I think it's I don't think it's fair to blame the NFL. You know, they're they're part of the capitalistic system so much. The owners used, you know, drug testing as a pawn in negotiations for for money. And I think finally, the NFL players, the NFL players finally said cannabis is not a drug issue. It's a wellness issue. And I think when the players Mm -hmm. took that stance, the NFL had to listen. And I think that's really been the main the main shift. So do you remember me? Do you remember talking about the um, cannabis cup in Amsterdam? Yes, yes, I absolutely. Do. That's, another, that's another. I mean, that's that's one. Of, I don't have many regrets in my life, but that's one of my <laughs> biggest. That's one of the biggest regrets of my life.
1: <laughs> oh man! Well, we were we were ready to roll the green carpet out for you. I was <laughs> so I was high times throws that event uh every year it's i think it's disbanded now but you know going back that would have been like the 25th annual cannabis cup in amsterdam and amsterdam is just this unique place in weed culture because especially back then it was really the only place that you could go in Sit down, order what you want, have that experience, throw a huge competition, and I always enjoy sharing that. Have, have you been to Amsterdam since? Have you been able to have that? I am, yeah.
2: I've, I've been, I've been a couple times, but just the timing of it—that you know, I I just left the NFL, and, and it was my first trip to Amsterdam, and it happened to be the same time the Cannabis Cup was going on, and I had an I had an invite, and it's like, ugh. Oh.
1: One thing I wanted to kind of close out with the idea of the NFL and their policy, and I I hear what you're saying, I'm going to put them, I'm going to be a little harder on them and say that for a long time, the official policy of the NFL was much less punitive to players who had been involved in violent crimes than somebody who smoked a joint. The, the the level of punishment that was meted out was not even close for those two things. And I, I personally can't abide that or, or, or let them off the hook. And I think what has hopefully been a big part of spurring this change is, as we understand the neuroprotective Properties of cannabis specifically, so pain relief, etc., all those other things. But when we're looking at uh, brain injuries and traumatic brain injuries uh, that can occur in the course of playing football, there's strong, strong evidence that cannabis works as a neuroprotectant. The federal government of the United States has actually had a patent on cannabinoids going back to the 1990s that is specifically says they act as a neuroprotectant. I know you've been a part of advocacy with other NFL players around this idea. And, and how has that informed your journey with cannabis? And how do you see that sort of coming from the players itself? How has that message been received?
2: It's changing the whole narrative. The old narrative is, you know, we have to stop these guys from breaking the law and ruining the reputation of the NFL. And it's made a complete 180. I, I just think it's 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 one of those things. At the end of my life, I'm going to look back on and probably it's going to be one of the things I'm most proud of. I was able to be to be a part of, um, and part of it is is definitely about helping football players take better care of their bodies. But I I think the the bigger, the bigger issue and kind of what we're seeing, I think is part of part of black lives matter is that our voice is being taken seriously and, and our experience of cannabis is using it to take care of ourselves is being taken seriously. And and NFL this past year has decided they're not going to suspend players anymore. And so that's huge.
0: Yeah. That's our great moment. That is the great moment that we've been leading up to this entire time is that despite all the struggles that you had to deal with in terms of being a cannabis person in the NFL, the NFL seems to have finally come to their senses. They've reduced the amount of testing. They've reduced the severity of the suspensions. They've reduced the uh, minimum limits for how much cannabis in your system constitutes a positive test. That must have been a huge moment for you.
2: You know, it, it was. It was. Uh, I, I read that story and I was like, oh, my goodness, finally. And, you know, who knows? But I, I like to think I had something to do with it. And that, you know, I, I had a moment in my life where I was like, OK, I got a choice to make. Am I going to believe what everyone's saying about me or am I going to do something different? And I was able to listen to myself. I was able to come back, have another thousand yard season, finish with 11 11 seasons and over 10,000 yards rushing. So hopefully people see that, well, it can't be that bad if this guy can can do what he did.
1: Well, we have a very specific way that I'm I'm guessing you can imagine that we like to celebrate great moments in weed history on the show. If you wanted to uh, uh, join us in, in lighting something up, I think it would be an appropriate
2: time. Understood. Can, you give me a, can you give me just a moment to grab my little spoon pipe? Yeah, let's of of do it. All right, I'll of be course. right back.
0: Let's get high. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So are we celebrating?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good to me. Fire joint one, and I got I got just a couple a mixture of of live resin in here. What are you smoking on, Ricky? Strawberry cough. Oh yeah. Oh, did you get that from Kyle Cushman?
2: Sure did. Oh, that is oh, nice, nice stuff, man.
1: Oh, so tell us about what you you're going to have on offer uh with with your new company.
2: It's a um, it's a lifestyle brand is, you know, the way we're talking about it. And it's and so the, the, I think the offering I'm most excited about are sports themed consumption lou- lounges. So we're going to call those Heisman Houses. I did a party in L.A. up in the Hollywood Hills a couple of years ago for the Super Bowl. We had like 100 people from all around the country show up and, and it was a really cool experience to watch to watch the Super Bowl, there was a little bit of alcohol, but mainly everyone was consuming cannabis. And it was a totally different experience. And it just really got me thinking of, wow, what if there's a space to enjoy sports where it's it's not the same vibe as drinking and people passing out and getting rowdy. I'm really excited about that. You know, and obviously I'm a connoisseur of flour. And so it's, you know, one of the fun parts about creating this brand is I get to interview the, the cultivators and, and the partners and, and find the best flour I can find to put under our, our brand. And so flower pre-rolls, concentrates, vape carts, uh, and then of course, accessories, right? This Again, we're really trying to build, to build community. Around sports. You know, I see us doing tailgates, flag football tournaments, softball tournaments, you know, even sponsoring athletes. It's just really taking the two things that I love the most and uh bringing them together.
0: Yeah, you know, despite the stereotypes, cannabis is very conducive to being active, right? On another episode of Buying Appetite, we had a couple of NFL players on who are cannabis enthusiasts, former players, and one of them is Evan Britton, who's, you know, in the cannabis scene. And He was like, yeah, I take dabs when I work out. You know, it's a bronchodilator. Like, I get high and I lift weights. And this is the thing. I remember in college, like, you know, dudes used to be like, yeah, I, like, get high and work out. You know, it actually feels good. And, you know, at the time, we'd be like, oh, that doesn't seem, those two things don't go together. But they very much do go together. I think that idea of the, uh, what what was the name of of the sports
1: bar concept? Heisman House. I that, to me, is amazing, that Heisman House idea. Because So I'm somebody, I grew up playing and loving sports. I, I I think no shock to anybody, not quite with the level of success <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that you had. I'm still waiting for that growth spurt I was promised in the fifth grade. Uh, but I fell out of love with it. Not, I still play sports. I still go down to the gym and play basketball. But to be honest, I stopped watching professional sports because the culture around it does not appeal to me i like to drink alcohol but to go into a sports bar feels a place where i feel uncomfortable i don't like the vibe you know mm. all of the games are sponsored by alcohol
0: it's in the stands it's when people are watching it i'm an eagles fan i'd love to watch football right but it's true the environment is like you don't always want to go to that crazy garish loud place and you know there's There's ranch dressing everywhere. (laughs) What do you sit at home?
2: (laughs) That one got me. And this is an opportunity, really, to create a culture because these two things have been separated for so long. We can finally bring them back together, and so I'm excited to be, you know, to be hopefully a, a thought leader in in you know creating this culture of how do you how do you bring these two things together in a in a really cool way.
0: Ricky, you absolutely are a thought leader in this space, and you have been for a long time. Before a lot of people understood what cannabis can mean to athletes or what cannabis means in the context of football, you really had a great understanding of it, and we thank you for it and for continuing to be a model citizen in Cannabis Town, seriously. And you've led us to a really great moment in weed history, one that could actually make football a safer sport for players. It could prolong the life of football itself as a sport uh, in the United States and all over the world. So thank you so much for that. And thank you guys at home for listening and hanging out with Bean and I as we got to do something that so many people probably want to do, which is get high with Ricky Williams and talk about his amazing career in weed. So thanks so much for listening to Great Moments in Weed History. We'll see you next time.
1: Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You could put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, aka Bean.